0: Hey guys, and welcome back to the SkullCast for episode 118. I am your host, as always, Walter, and joining me today are Aziel, Hey everyone. And Grail.
1: Hey everyone.
0: We are back. Um, there is some Berserk news to hit before we do our main event, which is closing out Volume 26's reread. I wanted to start by saying just a couple hours ago now, Volume 41 got announced and dated for uh, December 24th. So we're going to see that by the end of the year, which is great. We kind of expected that to be announced at the event, but here we are five days from the event. So it kind of makes sense that they're hyping it up a little bit early. Um, Still no cover art known. They did promote the fact that it will have a canvas art uh, thing, and they showed the picture we've been talking about around the event for the past year or so, that picture of guts swinging uh, as part of the promotional thing. Uh, So you can see that in the tweet that's linked on the thread we have on the forum. There will also be a drama CD, which I don't think... Yeah, they've never done that before, at least to promote a volume. I don't know that they've ever done that for Berserk. Uh, they've no. had voice actor stuff happened around the anime. Uh, the 20, 20, the movies, they had something where the voice actors did a little thing, where they acted like the characters. Yeah. On like YouTube or something. Uh, not YouTube.
2: Nico Nico Douga, yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't really know what to expect from that, other than maybe reenacting certain scenes from this volume. That's where my head goes anyway.
2: Well, as I said, uh, it's, it will be centered on the awakening of Casca and will feature past scenes unfolding one after another. That's what they say. And they'll have uh, returning cast members, including people from the, uh, 1997, uh, anime adaptation, uh, Yuko Miyamura and Nobudoshikana Shikana, among others. So I'm guessing, um, I'm guessing they took existing stuff. And rearranged it and, uh, did, a, a little new recording to tie this together in a way that mm. makes sense. Uh, the screenplay is by Makoto Fukami, so we can expect it to be pretty shit overall. Oh, wow. They
0: brought that guy back in.
2: Well, he, like, he did the screenplay for the, uh, yeah. latest anime series. So I'm guessing it was the easiest, easy thing to do, right? But, um, yeah, I wouldn't expect. I'm personally not super interested in the special edition. I'll buy it because, you know, for collecting purposes. But uh, yeah, drama oh, CD, I don't know. And the canvas art,
0: yeah, well, sure. Yeah. Not something I'm excited about. It's just a curiosity, something they've not normally done for Work. Yeah. So that's the only reason I bring it up, really. Am I hyped? Not necessarily. Uh, I do think it's nice to get volume 41. I'm looking forward to that cover. And the posters that they use for it, given how uh, different this volume is, for obvious reasons.
2: Yeah, we we might not get posters this time around, for example. Uh, I think Mm. it will depend on uh, what art was available. Uh, Maybe Murat had the time to do the cover before he passed on. Maybe not. Mm -hmm. Maybe they'll be using uh, unrelated uh, paintings he already had. I don't think they'll be using something some other artists would do. so, And
0: maybe he's also just won't, won't put any posters this time around. Well, that's a good segue into the next thing, which is the fact that we are getting a new Berserk art book, finally. Uh, something I we have been clamoring for for decades at this point. Um, and it will be released at the event itself. It's called The Artwork of Berserk, appropriately. It's said to include uh, some of the original drawings that are going to debut at the exhibition, along with the volume covers from 1 through 40, and to interview with Mira. As for what those original drawings are, I I don't know. I I don't know that I've read much about those uh, until the announcement of the art book.
2: What's sure is it's going to be art uh, displayed at the exhibition, as I'll pick from that, but I wouldn't expect anything specific until we learn more, honestly. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, like, like I expected, yeah, to go with an art exhibition, they're going to be releasing an art book. But I'm not sure as much care has been put into it as what they did for the illustration files, for example. So just just curious to see. But for now, I'm keeping my expectations in
0: check. I would say so as well, except for the fact that there's a mirror interview, which, which means there was some intentionality behind it, that they're adding an interview to it. So it wasn't just – it's not like they just took the scrap pictures they had laying around – to promote the event and bound them all on a
2: book. Sure, I'm guessing though that's uh, the same interview he did for the exhibition, the video interview they, or that the one they originally meant to only show during the special uh, unveiling mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you remember there was supposed to be something like reserved for press and for people who won a lottery uh, they would be able to access the exhibition uh, one day earlier or the, on the afternoon and they would have a special presentation during which a video of Mura would uh, be played mm-hmm. and it seems that was that, that video so Z7 was cancelled uh, after uh, Mura passed away and um, yeah and now they're going to be displaying it in that new area they did where they'll reproduce his walking space They'll put some artwork from his other works. Uh, I'm guessing Gigantomachia, Duranki, maybe what he did for Oro, Japan, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and they'll have a few things. They'll have some uh, Shikishi, other artists uh, did for him. And they'll be showing that video. And I'm guessing it's going to be
0: uh, yeah taken from from that. Speaking of that video, Azilia you sent to me uh, the other day. And it's, yeah. it looks like a frame from that video, if not the first frame of the video. Uh, And it's just an empty seat where Miura will sit. It was very kind of haunting to see it, honestly, knowing that it's an empty chair.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, But it was uh, interesting and a little bit of a teaser for what some people will see. Uh, I doubt we will ever see that. I doubt it would be released publicly. Uh, Maybe, maybe. Originally,
2: they were only going to show it to uh, like a select few people and it was going to be uh, no recording allowed thing. So I'm guessing they might do the same here, where they'll ask people not to record. That's kind of a shame. But I mean, if we get the interview uh, in the art book, well, I mean, that's the most important thing, right? What is it saying? I guess seeing him speak would be nice, but uh, right. yeah, seeing the, I mean, just,
0: just being able to know what he what was saying uh, is uh, the main part. Uh, the last thing I'll say in news is I thought this was really cool. I, I've been kind of following along the unique merchandise that's being created for the show, kind of at a distance. Uh, Azil, you're way more in the weeds than I am. But the one piece that's really stuck out to me so far are the duplicate manuscript pages, which are if you don't know what that means, it means it's the it's the duplicate of the kind of pages that Miura himself you know drew on. In fact, if you look at the border of the image, you can see his little pen strokes where he was testing out his pen with a little scribble before he would, you know, commit it to the page, that kind of stuff. Mm. Really cool to see that. Uh, So lots of those are on sale, featuring some of the series, you know, most significant two-page spreads. A lot of them. I don't want to say it's like 10 or 15 or more. Uh, 17. quite Quite a few. 17. There we go. It would be great if they sold those online because they're only available at the show. I would love it if those existed elsewhere. But again, who knows? Um, One other detail about those is that they are originally in B3 format, but they're printed in an A3 format. So it's slightly smaller uh, than the originals. Uh, Still very cool. Hmm. Would love to get a hold of those. Yeah,
2: and they're they're also being sold for fairly cheap, uh, Mm -hmm. 15 bucks. Yeah, 1,700 yen. Yeah. Wow. So, um, so yeah, around $50. And yeah, that's, that's pretty accessible, especially when you compare it to the color reproductions, uh, they, they have, which some of them, like the big ones, sell for like $500, uh, the equivalent. Yeah. So these are very expensive. And I'm guessing that's because they, they are using, uh, a, a company that does like professional painting reproductions, uh, of like, master paintings uh you know stuff from picasso whatever so so i'm guessing the process is expensive it guarantees color accuracy whatever but yeah you know 500 bucks that's that's a lot of money
0: well i think it comes in a frame too the frame itself would probably be pretty expensive
2: yeah but i'm i mean i i hope the frame itself is not the bulk of the price right but yeah it's probably like i'm guessing uh at least uh i don't know a fifth or sixth of the price
0: is the frame itself since yeah they do look pretty fancy Mm -hmm. I did have this awful moment when I saw those manuscript pages and I saw the price and I said, oh, well, shit, I can actually buy all of them. Oh, wait, I can't buy a single one of them, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, So that was a bummer.
2: Yeah. And um, the thing is, it's unlikely. I don't think there'll be too many people just going there to buy and resell online. So, yeah, the accessibility for foreign finds is likely going to be
0: uh, fairly limited. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bummer. Is there any other Berserk news uh, that I may have missed? Azeel, you've been really into it.
2: Yeah, those are the main ones. Uh, Well, I mean, we can also mention that a volume of Duranki, what was made of Duranki, will be be released as well. That's right. Yeah, up to
0: six, is that right? Five? five? How many releases were in in there? Five, six? I can't remember.
2: Uh, Good question. I was myself wondering if it's five or six. I I
0: think it's... They called it five, but the first issue was really, really—it's double-sized.
2: That's what yeah, I the, the first issue had uh, two episodes, uh, right. you know, at once for like a big start, whatever. I think it's six. Yeah. I think, yeah. Okay. I'm, in fact, I'm fairly sure it's a—it's uh, six episodes. So that's also an indication, in a way, that they might not intend to continue with Duranki. We'll see. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just talking out of my ass. Uh,
0: yeah. No, I thought about it too. Because otherwise, you would expect before it would be bound, it would be a completely sized, a fully sized volume. Um, but this was, this would be a little shorter than a standard sized volume. At least, you know, for Berserk sized, maybe that was always the plan for Duranki to be that small. I doubt it. Um, yeah,
2: probably yeah. not. I mean, because he's, he's uh, it's been a, a long time since uh, an episode of yeah, Duronki came out. So. May of last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it might also be the case that they want to collect those that were uh, produced by Mira, uh, where he actually did a a bunch of Mm -hmm. the work. And if it were to go on, you know, it would be separate. Like, okay, this this was done by Mira. This is just the guys alone. We'll see. We'll see. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not convinced. And until they announce something, uh, we can't we can't be sure.
0: Uh, on the bright side, you know, just having that out means that, you know, Dark Horse will eventually release it, just like they did with uh It took them like a year or so, I think it was. So you can expect to see that in Dark Horse eventually as well, I would bet.
2: Yeah. I mean, when there's uh, an opportunity to make a buck, you can mm-hmm. cut on them.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> I don't think I've ever asked, or Grail, have you guys ever read Drunkie?
1: Uh Yes. I haven't. I haven't caught up. But I think I uh, saw the first couple of releases and, you know, it was fun. Mm -hmm. I like the main character and how they're kind of uh, very, very different from Guts. So you kind of see how Mira approaches the story from a different angle. Mm -hmm. And of course, all the mythological references being from a totally different culture are very interesting.
0: My only issue with it is it felt like it was a pitch that never got to the, the, you never got the full, you know, argument for Durangi and the issues we got. It was just still setting up. Uh, the yeah,
1: story. yeah, it didn't have that urgency.
0: Not yet. at all. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, any story, it takes time to set up and it's going to get there. Uh, but yeah, it never got there, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I have a feeling uh, it was about to reach a critical point, uh, you know, where uh, the story gets, like you said, a sense of urgency develops because uh, Mira would have likely put it in uh, before, you know, within volume one. So you've got that beginning and then something hits. And if you look at how he constructed uh, Gigantomachia, you also see, uh, Delos and Prome arrive. They have these battles, they have these things. Then the empire comes, uh, and, and then the actual battle of the giants, uh, takes place. And, and that really comes into the second part of the story. And of course, you've got battles early on. You get that wrestling match, but the actual, uh, climax is of course in the latter half which, which makes sense right so right. i'm guessing he would have constructed it in the same uh in the same manner uh and uh, maybe even i mean probably in fact uh with a longer term thing planned since i i don't expect it uh was meant to just be one volume
0: it was probably gonna be a long-running series that was always how it sounded and definitely didn't feel like a short series yeah, right. it felt like it was setting up a big world. Uh, and because it was going about it very deliberately, every episode was a very deliberate pace as they slowly expanded the scope. You know, you see the village and then they get hinted hinted of events outside the village, but you never get the full curtain lift, even into, even the, to the final one. Anyway, um, that's about it. Let's go ahead and wrap up and move on to uh, volume 26, part two. We always like to start this, uh, this section uh, with where this chunk of the volume sits in the context of Berserk as a full series. Sometimes describing that, uh, is a little esoteric and it doesn't always bear much meaning one half versus the other, but volume 26 is fairly well, uh, segregated. You know, the first half of it is really all about the cliff off going in there, facing the trolls and ultimately facing Slan. And then the second half is very cleanly. uh, It's all about the assault of the mansion and really, the centerpiece, though, is the, the armor. Uh, and this, to me, the, it explores what the armor means for the group, what it means for Guts, the past of the armor, and how the armor can face up against an apostle. All these little things are explored in just, you know, five quick little episodes. Uh, also, it's just more than most sequences of Berserk, this one just feels like an action movie. Like, I love the scale and the pacing of things. You know, it, go, it does that thing where the hero is on the ropes and there's no way he can possibly win this. And then suddenly, like, you know, the tables turn and it's just like a, a romp from there on out. But it's also a romp that's, you know, terrifying for the main character because of the cost of using the armor. So I guess I'll start out. It's uh, I'll take the first episode claw marks. Uh, we're back at the mansion. Uh, Flora is working on etching a talisman into the breastplate. She and Skull Knight discuss how their past seems to be reflected now, but Flora insists that causality is a spiral, not a circle, and thus this group is not bound to make the same decisions that they once did. An unseen danger is approaching the mansion, and Skull Knight rides out to buy Flora some time. It's a group of apostles led by Zod, and they're closing in. The golems begin to rise to defend the mansion. Meanwhile, Guts and the group are returning to the mansion when he collapses suddenly, Shirke realizes that he has astral wounds that won't heal unless they can rush to take an elixir from Flora. Shirke wonders what would have given Guts such wounds, and he tells her that he was able to defeat a monster pretending to be an angel. Suddenly, Shirke senses that the barrier around the mansion has vanished, and Guts and Kaska's brands begin bleeding. Shirke spots smoke, and the episode ends with them seeing the mansion in flames. What I like about this is just the first three pages with Skull Knight and Flora, these are very valuable pages for these characters because they're really talking about events from a thousand years ago. And you can really just dredge up certain you know details of their past. The fact that Skull Knight has a connection to this armor is established immediately before we even see later in the episodes that it actually has a skull on it. You know that he has had a personal uh, encounter with this armor in some way. He regards it as a dangerous thing. you know, Flora recognizes that. So I really like that right from the start, the armor is uh, treated with kind of like, you know, gloves on, uh, a a dangerous artifact. I like the idea for what that could mean uh, as well. It's very foreboding. But you also really want to see it in action, right? I like how it's teased by this.
2: It's also interesting that they're basically disagreeing on what to do since Flora is one who Decides to give the armor to Guts, whereas the Skull Knight doesn't think it's a good idea. And uh, in, in itself, it's uh, I find that interesting since he's the one who's been, uh, who's taken an interest, a particular interest in Guts from the beginning, and even one flaws that they would come her way. Uh,
0: but yeah, he, he didn't plan on that uh, happening. So that's interesting. He's not saying it's a bad idea necessarily. He's just kind of reminding her, like, wow, I can't believe you're taking this step. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like wow, you're, you're going for it, you're swinging for it. He's not saying, he's not
2: opposing her, but you can tell he's not necessarily a fan of the idea,
0: right? You know, there's a stigma attached to it because that is the author of who he is now. You know, it killed him, basically, and forced him to be who he is. Mm. And there's, just, there, throughout the scene, it's just three pages, one, two, three, four, four pages. Uh, It's just loaded with meaning right beneath the surface. There's allusions to the past without them actually saying explicitly what they're talking about. Uh it's just a really cool scene between these two characters.
2: Walter, you mentioned causality. Yeah. But that's like you self-corrected uh, Dark Horse, right? Because yep, they use karmic instead of uh, like karma instead of Inga, basically, which is uh, incorrect. And uh, I feel like that's something that should be pointed out because... Yeah, he's like no you're right too. He's actually talking about causality and not uh, not karma and those are related concepts but separate, you know? So they're, they're related to each other but they're not the same thing And they shouldn't be swapped uh whenever I don't know someone feels like they convenient so yeah I think that's important and of course so is the uh the comment about causality uh being a spiral and not a a circle um because it's something People, I've often seen people speculate about uh, what happened with Geiseric, what's going to happen with Griffiths and Guts. And very often they seem to think everything is going to happen exactly the same way and it must have been the same way. And this comment uh, underlines the obvious, which is that is not the case. While things bear similarities to what happened in the past, they don't reoccur exactly the same and that's pretty obvious when you consider Geyseric's life compared to Guts. He was an emperor, and certainly his empire you know had a downfall and he was betrayed and so on, but it's the other it's just the opposite with Guts and Griffiths. And there's also many other differences we won't get into here, but yeah, it's obviously not
0: a carbon copy of what happened before. I see this whole conversation. I mean, in my mind, I tie it to what she said in volume 24 about how uh, humans are given a path. Uh, and even though it's convenient, you know, humans are the ones that choose to walk it. God gives humans a path and they, they're the ones that choose to walk it. It's the same thing here where they are not bound to make the exact same decisions. And, and Azil, to go back to what you said earlier, it's convenient to try to think of the past as a one-to-one as now. And there are some things that seem to serve in a one-to-one capacity. So, for example, Shirke and Flora seem like a one-to-one, right? And Guts and uh, Geyseric slash Skull There's in, in a, some ways, they're like a one-to-one. But that's an oversimplification, clearly, of what's actually happened a thousand mm-hmm. years ago. I mean, it's not like you can say Guts is exactly like Geyseric because Geyseric was the fucking emperor. Uh, so, yeah, it's. A, I think it's a mistake to try to oversimplify events from the past in a one-to-one capacity. Um,
2: yeah, yeah. And Guts also survived the big event. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> he, he had to, he had to, his to go out. through,
0: whereas geiser did not.
2: Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, you're right.
1: It makes me think of the first few panels of this episode, actually, and seeing Flora carving in this uh, kind of talisman onto the armor makes me wonder, you know, did she do that a thousand years ago or did she do it differently? You know, just the fact that Flora is the one, you know, uh, giving this armor and preparing it, I feel like also suggests that there might be a difference of events too.
0: Yeah. I I don't know. I took, I always took her doing this now as a boy, I really should have done this before Uh, that kind of thing. I don't really know. That's for sure.
2: That's honestly, that's a really good point, Grail. Um, And the talisman she, she engraves there, it serves two purposes too. The first one is what she told guts uh, to protect, uh, to, to nullify the brand's attraction of evil spirits. Uh as the same as a talisman she gives casca, which is a kind of a necklace. Uh but it also protects God's soul from the armor's odd. And that comes uh to a head in the beginning of volume twenty seven where this talisman is what saves him from basically being
0: destroyed. Like he's well, yeah, and the flame itself or the ego is like right on the cusp of that that you know, basically it's serving as a wall. Yeah. Right.
2: So, so yeah, it's interesting to know because back in the day, Flora was just. I mean, we know from uh, recent uh, revelations that she she was uh, um, not how to say not a senior uh, magic user or anything like that, and she might not have been in charge of of that or doing anything like that. So it's it's an interesting thing to consider whether Geyseric uh, had the benefit of that kind of protection or if he did not. And if that uh, played a role in his, uh,
0: in his demise. It
1: makes you wonder, yeah.
0: I had one thought. I wanted to close out the causality thing because both what Flora says in volume 24 and what she says here are some of the only kind of rays of hope that we have for the whole concept of causality being something that creates uh, puppets out of humans. It's forcing humanity down a certain path. You know, Flora's lines are the only real optimism we have in that whole uh, structure. Uh, so it's it's nice to have that here, uh, in, in two very small instances, to say that there is hope for humans. There is a chance that things won't proceed exactly as they once did, etc., mm. etc. Cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I like this this interaction where uh, they both sense danger, and then uh, Skull Knight jumps off, you know, dramatically onto his horse, and. You know, Flora is about to say that, you know, either way, she's going to die. But he he kind of interrupts her. He doesn't let her say it. You know, he doesn't let her finish her sentence about dying and says, you know, he's trying to buy her time all the more for it to be at ease is what he says.
2: Yeah. He'd prefer her to have a
0: peaceful death rather than being mangled by an apostle. In this uh, one page, I've always loved this one page sequence with these five little uh, horizontal slices of time. As it builds tension for this un- uncoming fight, you know, you see the golems rising, Skull Knight looking serious, and then the, the apostles are gathering, and it gets closer to the apostles, and then you see Zod, which is like that really, uh, what's the word, deliberate pacing of tension yeah. as we get closer to the battle.
2: Yeah, the fact Zod is there is pretty cool, too. I mean, in itself, it's already a little reveal that uh, adds a lot of tension, because if it were just random apostles, Right. It wouldn't be much of a of a problem for the skull knight, but uh, it's not the case here. Yeah.
1: I was just gonna say, I like how it looks like Zod's face is blacked out here, so you don't even see his face. I just find that to be an interesting detail
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: to kind of makes it it makes it feel more tense somehow. Yeah,
0: yeah, you're obscuring the, what's what's clearly there. The character is recognizable just by seeing
2: his uh, his torso, his armor. That's also a way to make him like you don't need to show his face.
0: Everyone knows who it is. Right. Yeah. What I'm mostly responding to on this page, I suppose, is the fact that everything's equally spaced. You know, Mira is often very creative with how he tells the stories through paneling, but here everything has equal space. It's like it's moving to like a beat, like it has a certain measure to it as it goes. So you can kind of feel yeah the story playing out in a way that most other panels, you know, go along with their, their own pace. This one seemed to have like a directed pace, which is interesting.
2: It feels very much like a Western in a way, right? Uh, with mm-hmm. the Skull Knight waiting, you see the, the grass waving, the golems rising, then the guys coming. It's, it's like you say, it's, a, it's pretty unique. I'm not sure Mira ever did uh, a series of panels based exactly like that. Yeah, he, he that's, that's very unique to this, uh, to this episode
0: moving along a couple comments i had about the group once we come back to guts uh shirke is refusing to take credit for her work you know always so virtuous Mm. never self-centered actually skid is kind of (laughs) self-centered but she's concerned more about what she didn't do than what she did do uh which is a little bit of an insight into her personality and you know we're, we're still getting to know shirke at this point i feel like by the time we're on Vritanas, so we get to know her a little bit more. But, you know, we're still learning all the different facets of her personality. Yeah, she's, not, um, she's lacking confidence, I
2: think, basically. Mm-hmm. And what I find interesting is that she's, she's not confident, but she's encouraged by others. Uh, Serpico starts it, and then Farnese is, like, <laughs> intense. And I guess that's a, a sign of things to come, right? Yeah, definitely. And meanwhile, you see Isidro is just rolling around with practicing his newfound moves. So that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting, how to say, contrast between these two atmospheres. Her being, doubting her powers, who are awesome, and Isidro, who just, I mean, he's managed to get one move that works, and he's super pumped about himself. It's a, that's a good point.
0: Yeah. Well, um, right around the time that she's considering that it's interesting, this moment where guts falls, you know, he is not someone who (laughs) is prone to just falling over. So it's a really shocking moment. I think even for readers, I mean, this is the guy that won't stay down. And here he is falling on his face without being able to control himself. So it's, It's a serious moment, uh, for sure. And they investigate the astral wounds. So this is the introduction of what astral wounds are and why they are so serious. Uh, It's a further exploration of the whole idea between the physical and astral bodies. It's a topic we've kind of touched on in the past two volumes, but now we see... The implications of what happens when an astral body gets injured, you know.
2: That's because once the others look at his wounds, they don't see anything wrong. They are, they are healed. But, uh, with her astral vision, she can see that the wounds are still active, uh, in, uh, on his a- astral body. And that's also an interesting way to underline Slan's power. It's not just, yeah, I mean, he managed to dispel her presence, send her back. Uh, and, and whatnot. And he survived the encounter, which is in itself already, uh, an achievement. And Shuke, uh, I mean, she, she's pretty, uh, distressed by it. Uh, and w- while Guts, I mean, he gets back up and he's like, yeah, no big deal. I can endure it. But actually, that's because he's Guts, right? That's because he, like, like Walter say, he's the kind of guy, he's not the kind of guy who complains or, or do, does anything like
0: that. Yeah, it's a cool, it's an incredibly cool guy moment where he turns and faces her over the shoulder. And it's just a, he's not even gloating. It's not, it's a communication between he and her, you know, through thought transference. So it's not like he's like, obviously he's guts, he's not going to brag, but it's a very downplayed yeah i basically killed a demigod is kind of what he's saying he's not saying he killed her but you get the idea
2: yeah and like you were saying earlier walter or uh while she was having still doubts and so on that moment for her is might be the actual determination that yeah actually thinking back to what flora said this guy might be yeah He's
0: special. Yeah, at first she attributes it to obstinance, which is not wrong. Uh, yeah, he is still standing because he is a stubborn guy, for yeah. sure. That is definitely part of it, you know. And he recognizes
2: himself, but he's still, I mean, that's beyond just uh, being stubborn to, to to get over that. But what's interesting is that as this goes on, this realization uh, in our head, it's interrupted once more. By the uh, she feels the odd the flow of odd is uh, strange coming from the mansion and that adds again urgency so we get a thing where we have internal dialogue from her then something happens uh, which has tensions and something happens again with such tension just after so it's like raising stakes
0: yeah I, I honestly feel bad for the group because consider that the, these events really started spilling out right when they arrived at Enoch. You know, they had a little bit of preparation time at Enoch, but ever since then, they've been sprinting to get to this point where they're finally able to think about how they're going to recover, uh, going to get, you know, that elixir, that's going to take care of Gus's Astral Wounds, no problem. Uh, and then the man- they arrive and the mansion is in flames, so uh, which begins his next sequence of events. So that's just how it goes with Berserk Yeah, sometimes, yeah. most of the time.
2: <laughs> when you think about it, it's also like this was necessary in several ways. Because if gods weren't wounded, uh, fighting apostles, okay, that, that's, sure, that's a big deal, but he's got friends, there's a skull knight there, it's not, I mean, he's seen war stuff. And also, he's just fought Slan, just now. And so, how do you make it, uh, how do you create tension with apostles after he's faced with a member of the God Hand, right? That's, that's complicated. So, that's good
1: point. How do you follow Slan?
2: Exactly. And so, and, and the way to make it work is that, Slan, facing Slan actually affected him really badly. He's really severely injured. And that's also why he has no choice but to don the armor. Because otherwise, he might be like, I don't need this magical dookie key. I'll just use my sword and do it the way I've always done it,
0: right? But this, in this case, he can't even stand <laughs> up without it. I did have one last question about this episode. Uh, when they set out for Enoch, Flora had initially had said that she could provide talismans to prevent that. And ultimately, uh, you know, first Shurke gives him the, uh, she paints over the brand with the same talisman, right? And Flora is promising something a little bit more permanent. And ultimately she gives it to him in the form of the armor. Uh, but when do you think she decided to give this armor to guts? Was it at that moment when she encountered guts when they first arrived at the mansion or was it skull Knight coming back and giving her a debriefing, uh, at cliff off?
2: Well, she does say that uh it took a while to do uh what what she engraved on the armor, so I'm gonna say it's not something she just did on the spur of the moment uh I, I think she meant to give him the armor from the beginning. It's also something she's kept. I mean, she had been, right. she had keeping it been keeping it for a long, long time, and she knew she was at the end of the line. She was about to die. Like she might have died the same day, even if that had come. So she knew she was really at the end. And um, like, what would she have done? Just leave it uh, there in the cellar. So I think it provided a convenient way for her. Well, Shiruke can go with them. Uh, they can take the armor. Uh, I'll just I'll give them what I
0: can for the journey. Uh, passing on the torch. Uh, that's it for me from that episode, a long one. Sorry about that, but there was a lot to talk about. So I'm passing the torch over to Grail for the next one. Okay,
1: so for Flames Part 1. The episode begins as the group witnesses the burning tree mansion. Shirke calls out the Flora in distress and runs to the tree mansion while the others follow. Guts, however, senses the apostles who have gathered nearby, though Zod can't, can't currently be seen among them. He wastes no time in summoning his remaining strength to rush at one of them with the Dragon Slayer in hand, injuring one of them in the shoulder. Due to his weakened state, Guts isn't able to do much damage to the Apostle, and he flings Guts away and begins to transform. Guts looks winded, and it's clear that he's in no state to fight due to the astral wound he sustained from Slan in the Klyphon, but... Just as the Apostle rushes to attack him, the Skull Knight swoops in to dispatch the enemy, cutting the Apostle to pieces. Guts questions his presence, and he answered that he has close ties with the head of the mansion. Guts connects his presence to the Troll's den. The remaining Apostles are confused by the sudden intrusion into their operation, and question the Skull Knight, who only reveals that he is one who opposes the five angels. One of them mentions having seen him at their master's ceremony, the Eclipse, and they also recognize Guts as their master's sacrifice. Guts tries to grasp what they mean by their master when Zod arrives on the scene, finally dispelling any doubt that Griffith is the one who sent them to the tree mansion, referring to him as the one who is determined to be the master of the Inhumans. Grunbeld arrives with a group of giant armored armored apostles, and announces his intention to duel Guts. While Guts stares on in disbelief at Grunbilt's huge size, he explains that he's heard rumors of Guts's abilities in his survival of the Eclipse. He goes on to say that he finds killing Flora, an old woman living in seclusion, to be far from honorable, and took on the task in the hope of proving his loyalty to the Falcon. Guts at that moment wonders why they were sent in such numbers to kill the witch, he isn't given much of a chance to ponder these circumstances further when Grunbeld announcing himself as a member of the band of the Falcon, calls upon the black swordsman in single combat. The thought of apostles using the name of his old band fills guts with vengeful anger, and he squares off with Grunbeld as he appears to swing as he prepares to swing his hammer. Meanwhile, Shirky has rushed into the tree mansion as the others follow. Uh, Isidro saves Shirke from a burst of flame and bumps his head, scolding Shirke for not using her magic. Shirke is so distraught that she admits she's unable to cast spells, and Serpico isn't able to use the silk sword while surrounded by the flames. As they move to leave the mansion, Shirke receives a message from Flora, who sits inside the mansion as it burns. She instructs Shirke to get the mysterious dark armor that she had been working on to Guts. As the episode ends, the reader is left wondering how they will succeed with guts in the midst of a fight with a giant apostle, the odds horribly stacked against him. Uh, So a few notes on this. I really liked how, as we've talked about before in the last couple of volumes, how really, really dense information and emotions are being communicated along with really intense action. And also importantly, how character moments are kind of being crafted alongside and because of the action, uh, I liked how Guts is absorbing a huge amount of information, dealing with a lot of emotion while being forced to fight, which kind of heightens everything. Uh, in contrast, Shirke, who's lived kind of this sheltered sheltered life with Flora and is really just still a kid, is so upset that she isn't able to cast spells, even though we saw her do you know, this amazing feat of magic earlier. Uh, So I felt like that those were really humanizing moments to me where Mm -hmm. Shirke is really struggling because she doesn't have that life experience and that incredible will that Guts has where he's ready to take on a giant because of, you know, all this stuff that he's telling him. And I feel like, yeah, in a previous in the previous episode where he was talking about companions, I felt like that was a great tie in where he was just pondering on his companions and. Uh, you know their deaths and and how he's moved on, and now Grunveld is really like putting salt in the wound, calling himself a mem- member of the band of the Falcon. It's just like, say what? Excuse me. Uh, so that was that was a great moment. And uh, just a side note, I loved the armor designs of all the apostles.
2: Yeah, he's one of Mira's strength, really. Uh, all those guys. I mean. Their body design is unique, their transformation is unique, and even their armor reflects their, uh, their apostle forms in a unique way. So that's, that is pretty cool. I love that. Some of these action scenes, uh, in this episode are some of my favorite in the series. Uh, when you see Guts, he sees the apostles, you see he clenches his teeth, drags the dragon slayer behind him and hits the, the guy, uh, like by surprise. And what I always found interesting is that why he hits him by surprise with a full swing? He doesn't actually do much damage. And of course, that's right. because he's, he's wounded, of course, and that plays into it. But it also shows the resilience and, you know, extreme power for apostles. Like even, uh, flunkies like this, this guy, uh, he's not a big apostle. He's not the main one. He's not particularly powerful. But yeah, he gets hit by the dragon Slayer like that. It hurts. But it doesn't actually do serious damage to him, and, and so that's right. interesting. And of course, we see that's a, a good way to see that gut is struggling even against enemies he normally wouldn't be. And then the Skull Knight comes and slices a guy up like uh, like, sli- like sliced bread, right? And that's yeah. <laughs> that's also so cool. I and also of course, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Skull Knight fan. So just the fact they ask him who he is, he says, yeah, he he wouldn't give his name to mere apostles. He tells them the same thing he tells Guts when they first, uh, when, when you know, when they, not when they first meet, but, uh, the second time that he, he's the one who opposes the five angels. And that's, uh, that's an interesting way. That's what he always says. And, uh, it's basically his mission statement, right? So interesting. I, I, I love that stuff. I'm, uh, I'm really eager for it. And also, of course, like you said, Grail, the fact, uh, Guts, until that point, while the reader has been exposed to Griffiths and his conquest, uh, Guts does not know that he's reformed uh, the Band of the Falcon with apostles at their core, uh, and that also serves as a revelation to him. And when he actually gets told that, I always felt like
0: he's shocked in a way. Yeah, he's shocked. He's just like, what the fuck? We mentioned it earlier, but the Apostle designs on that two-page spread, you know, in my head, this is just how it's always been, but this is actually kind of a watershed moment for their armor. We, we got a little taste of it in Volume 23 uh, when we yeah. went through the forest and we saw them on the field of battle with the consecutions, but they're really in full display here. There's a lot more crazier and varied armors here than in than, than the series uh, heretofore. So, and this becomes a mainstay from here on out. Uh, it's pretty cool to see them here.
2: Yeah, for sure. One last thing I'd say is that I absolutely love that panel of uh, so the battle with Grenville. I mean, amazing every shot of it, and the one where we see him uh, just cocking his armor, ready to to strike, and he's he, the perspective makes him seem even huger than he is and got smaller. It's an amazing shot. I mean, just like. Uh, wonderful artwork. I I, I could get uh, just a frame of this putting on my wall no the problem. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: There's There's uh, one other small thing I noticed. I don't think I noticed it before. When Skull Knight arrives, you know, all the attention is spent on the way that he dismembered this one apostle into, you know, four different pieces. Uh, but I didn't notice in the foreground of this long silhouette sh- shot, there's actually three different apostles unrelated to the ones we saw that yeah. are now and pieces on the ground as well, which shows that to get to Guts, he sliced down multiple apostles just to, like, get to that point. So he's been busy.
2: Yeah, I think uh, the implication is he was already fighting them before. That's also what the they comment on, basically, that uh, how could just one guy uh, dispatch them like that and you know, hold mm-hmm. them back uh, like as such?
1: It really reinforces the idea that they... Griffith sent a lot of apostles to take out Flora.
2: She, she Yeah, I was going to say she does mention that uh, the fact they could breach her barrier so easily shows how weakened she was. So it might, uh, like maybe if uh, it had been 50 years ago, uh, she would have just you know, snapped her fingers and like half of them would have been destroyed
0: or something like that. It's hard to. Can they just be lost in the woods
1: for yeah. a whole week? Oh my God.
2: Walking around, asking Morgan if he's got. Uh, he said it was here. I don't
0: know. Azil, you already said it, but I re- I just really love and it's it's a very Miura thing to do, to have this build up to apostles showing up on the mansion and then you don't even see Guts coming. He's just all of a sudden he's there with his sword embedded in an apostle's chest, basically. It's just a uh, any any other series, not any other series, most series it would be a square off, right? And then you'd see who's gonna strike first? And it's just nope, Guts just goes straight to the case. Yeah. Straight to the Yeah. Very cool. Yeah and it's also I think it suits Guts and his
2: relationship with apostles where I mean there's like 10 of them there uh it's, it's not it's not wise in his state to do what he does but he doesn't even think on it he just rushes and, and hits them because yeah his hatred for them is just so big he like he doesn't even care right
1: Same with the Grunbeld thing like it feels like he's driven by his emotions really in that fight More than anything else, not by like, holy shit, I'm fighting this huge guy.
0: (laughs) Hey, it's Walter. Thank you for listening. We had some technical difficulties with one of the tracks this week. As a result, we had to cut the whole episode a little shorter than anticipated, but we will be back in a short while with the rest of volume 26. So please stay tuned. We'll also have, of course, our review of episode 364 in just about a week from now. That's very exciting stuff. Look forward to that. In the meantime, if you haven't already, check out the forum at Skullknight.net forum. We have a community there that's been there for about 20 years now with lots of posts about Berserk if you are new to the series or old. And if you want to give back to our cause, we have a Patreon over at Patreon.com SKNet. Donations for that do not go to us in particular. Instead, they go to our resident translator, Puela, who has been translating Berserk-related materials for more than two decades. She's producing new translations of interviews with Berserk's creator, Kentaro Miura. She just released one new one about two weeks ago about uh, Kentaro Miura's interview with Persona's creator. That's Shin Megami Tensei's Persona, if you don't know about that. Uh, it's very cool to read. It's available for, I think it's gold and silver tiers, if you want to go over there and check that out. Patreon.com slash sknet. Speaking of which, I wanted to give a shout out to our gold subscribers, who includes Spacey Laos, Dirtiest M, Myself, Rombad Incantation, and M. Thanks for contributing, everybody. Until then, we'll be back in a week or so with 364's podcast, and then back again for Volume 26, Part 3, I suppose, and we'll close it out there. Thanks again for listening. Thanks. Bye.
1: Thanks, guys.